Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi, hello, how are you? It's Daryl, and welcome to episode 100 of Cage Rage, a Nicholas Cage podcast. It's the podcast in which I, your humble host and guide, Daryl Edge, take you, dear listener, on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. And what is true Cage Nirvana, I hear you ask? Well, it's simply put the highest, most ethereal, most spiritual, most physical, most elemental, spiritual, sexual, mathematical, geographical, everything you will, possible form of being one can achieve. And it is achieved, of course, by watching every single movie the man I call the golden hog of Hollywood, Nicholas Cage, has ever been in. And here we are, episode 100. We've done it. We're caught up. We are caught up to the golden hog. We've caught him by the curly tail. We're staring the beast in the mouth. And we're saying we're here. We're at the pearly gates of Nirvana. This is what we play for. This is what we work for. And, uh... What a journey. What a ride it's been getting here. Two, well over two years, two and a half years, thereabouts, getting to this point. What started as a little strange old hobby in the midst of a pandemic has now become a full-flown investment into podcast territory. And I'm uh, 30 years old and I've watched every single film Nicolas Cage has ever been in. Exciting, weird, daunting elating uh now here we are we're at we're at the tippity top of the mountain and we're only halfway up we're here with the unbearable weight of massive talents at the time of recording this is nicholas cage's most recent film we are caught up with 2022's unbearable weight of massive talents and uh joining me for this milestone monumental episode is writer critic and podcast host lucy bugness who joined me a few weeks ago on what was the uh, hottest day in old English history, 34 degrees. We were both in our respective very hot rooms on our sides of the Zoom call, trying not to pass out to talk about this film. Considering the circumstances, I think we had a bloody good go of it. But this is where the journey to true Cajun Havana takes you. Many different places, many avenues, some hot, some cold. Some will outright try and kill you. So it is a lovely old episode. Uh, talking about, obviously, Nicolas Cage history, Nicky Cage. We're talking about Pedro Pascal, the perception of Cage, uh, the solid supporting cast, and so many much more things. Um, I am a big fan of this film. I do love me some unbearable weight. Uh, also, as well, do not forget a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I have chatted with... Tom Gormican and Kevin Etten, the uh, co-writers and director 
of the unbearable weight of massive talent the link to that is in the description down below that was a very lovely 20 minute chat with those guys so go and check that out uh, after you finish with here lovely little topper to the episode as well um, as ever all the links are in the description down below if you want to go and listen to this on your listening platform of choice following all the usual social medias but without further ado let's get into it shall we let's get into episode 100 and then we'll check in with you at the end it's episode 100 the unbearable weight of massive talent daryl edge lucy beats enjoy so The time has finally come for us to catch up to the present day with the 2022 action comedy The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Here, Nicolas Cage plays the role he was born to play, Nick Cage, a fictionalised version of himself who accepts a $1 million offer to attend the birthday party of a dangerous superfan. Now joining me on the journey to True Cage Nirvana this week to see if this movie is massively talented or just buckles under its own unbearable weight is writer, critic and host of the TV Time podcast, it's Lucy Buchless. Lucy, thank you very much for joining me on the hottest day since records began. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And yes, I mean, we are recording uh, at a peak, uh, 35 degrees, I think you said, or something like that. So uh, if we do go delirious, we're very sorry about that. But it's still <laughs> nice to be here. <laughs> we're getting in on excuses early. So when you just hear us just stammering and just panting, like <laughs> like unfortunately dogs in a hot car, which is uh, what I feel like in this tiny room. Um, but getting me through uh, is... Another Nicolas Cage film, The Things I Do for the Man I Call the Golden Hog of Hollywood, which <laughs> brings me on to the question um, for yourself, Lucy, as I asked the all new guest of the podcast. Nicolas Cage, rate, hate, tolerate, where do you stand on the man I've dubbed the Golden Hog of Hollywood? I think Nick Cage is brilliant because he, from what I've seen, doesn't take himself too seriously at all. Um, and my favourite film of his is actually Vampire's Kiss, which is a ridiculous film. But I love it because it's ridiculous. And like I always bring that up, you know, when we talk about Nick Cage, I'm like, have you seen Vampire's Kiss? Because I always want to do the put it in the ride file gag, like all the time. Like, it's just brilliant. <laughs> um, I do it at work a lot. It's kind of like a running joke now. Um, but yeah, I just think he's brilliant. I love all of his silly movies. Um, I do like his more serious ones as well. You know, I like um, Face Off and stuff like that. But, you know, I like him when he's being ridiculous. So I think that's why I wanted to come on for this one because, you know... It was a celebration of his ridiculousness and the fact that he doesn't take himself too seriously and he can be crazy and I just love it. There's a compilation video just called Nicolas Cage losing his shit and I love it. It's brilliant. I, mean, I assume you have seen it, but it's oh, great. I, kn I know that video <laughs> far so better good. than most people. Um, yeah. <laughs> I've been a fan of that video. I mean, I, I don't want to sort of stress this, but about 16, 17 years I've been a fan of that video. <laughs> Probably my, It's so good. It's... Uh, I've sort of said it before on the podcast, but like Nicolas Cage losing his shit and like, yes, on one hand, it's very easy to put just uncontextual screaming into a video. But one of the fun parts of this podcast is now I can watch that video and be like, I know where all these films are from. I get it now. Mm -hmm. I, I have the whole picture. Like I said, it took yeah. about 17 years from being an impressionable teenager to being an impressionable 30 year old to do it. But um, I mentioned the magic words, vampire kiss the the true litmus test of a cage fan mm. right there um 
which is always incredible to me because I think it's I don't know. It's almost like the room. It's going to be a hard sell to person, uh, hard sell to someone who hasn't seen it before. But it's it's a very it's an important Cage film because it's where he did so much of his. It was like a laboratory for him to sort of test himself. And as we said, without a vampire's kiss, you wouldn't get face off. Um, mm. Which which is incredible. How would you how would you try and sell vampire's kiss to someone who hadn't seen it? Um, I did it actually a few minutes ago because I, I was just setting up with my boyfriends here with me and I said basically it's Nicolas Cage has a one night stand, thinks he's turning into a vampire and then basically has a massive meltdown. <laughs> and if that do- if that doesn't sell it, I don't know what will, quite frankly. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's basically what happens. <laughs> and it's just so good, you know? It's It's one of these films as well where I'm kind of like, how do we still not have like a Blu-ray release of this yet? I know. I know. I mean, I just love it. I love watching compilation videos of it. I just, I think it's brilliant. Because he's just, his expressions in that film, it's a oh, masterclass. So good. So good. I, I know, this is, this is the, truly pushing the limitations of uh, acting. And if you want to see where it comes from, why Nicolas Cage disposes of, like, naturalism in his acting, then, you know, <laughs> f- find yourself Vampire's Kiss because it's an absolute trip. Um, if you just sort of accept it for what it is, I saw um, like highlights of the uh, the director's commentary because I don't think Nick does a lot of director's commentaries for films, but he did one for that. Um, I remember there was there was one bit where um, I think he's running into his apartments or something, and there's just a mime outside, and the director outright says, "I have no idea. We just put a mime there." <laughs> um, so. <laughs> So just equally as fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. But I suppose we're skipping from, you know, Vampire's Kiss, a movie that's informed a lot of his movies, to now the the movie where we couldn't have had without 40 years of Cage prior, the unbearable weight of massive talent and um, quite a monumental film in the fact that this is the first Cage movie in, I think, about 10 years at the point of recording since, I want to say Ghost Rider 2, since it's been in mainstream cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, the Cage faithful, you know, saw him through the DVD days, some dark times, um, <laughs> as have been covered extensively on this podcast. Um, do you sort of recall for yourself, like, when Unbearable Weight was, like, announced? Is this one that you'd sort of been aware of for a, uh, before it came out? Yeah, so I remember... This was one of the trailers that everyone went nuts for on social media, and rightly so, because the trailer was was hilarious. Um, I was there when it dropped, and I was just like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything about it, you know, just the fact it was him playing himself. Neil Patrick Harris was there. You know, you've got Pedro Pascal. I was like, I'm here. I'm here for it. Let's do this. <laughs> like, I was in. I was in immediately. I just thought it looked so fun, and I was like, I'm ready. I, I wanted nonsense. I wanted batshit stuff. I wanted just silly, silly sort of like, you know, in references. I wanted I wanted fan service. I wanted all of it. You know, I just I, that's what I expected from the film. So I was just, I remember just seeing it. I think I saw it on the Rotten Tomatoes page, and I was just like, this is brilliant. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was it. I sort of remember it being announced that like Nicholas Cage is playing himself, and I was like, stop. What the fuck are you talking Literally. about? What in, in the year of our Lord? Like, what is? <laughs> what am I reading right now? Um, and I, I, I just remember being like, 
I've talked about this on other podcasts as well, and obviously we'll, we'll sort of get more into the film as we go along, but I sort of remember when you know, sort of like, uh, like Lionsgate had picked it up and they were sort of behind it and it was being marketed quite heavily. There's quite a big social media campaign for the movie as well. Uh, Cage especially was doing so much press, like he doesn't do press to this extent, or he hasn't for a long time. Um, and I remember going on other podcasts and being like, it's kind of a weird way to describe it, uh, but it was almost like being a parent and watching your child get like nursery for the first time. You're just like, oh, how is he going to get along? Is everyone else going to get, get, going to like them? So I felt like a protective parent just watching my 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 child fly the coop. Yeah, um, I was like, it's going to be there's going to be so much more eyes on Cage now. Um, Obviously, the Pedro Pascal stands will be there to defend the movie. So God bless the stands, the, the Pascal stands. Um, mm-hmm. but I think something that I don't think it'd be fair to say surprised me and I don't know if it was the same for you but because the film did get really quite a good reaction as well as like and as they say in the film like he's back not that he never ever went anywhere um, but when when the sort of the reaction started coming out as well I think for a fellow Cage fan were you kind of did it almost feel, almost feel like validating for you? Like, it's kind of like this weird super fan standum. Um, but how was it for you when you sort of see all the, the initial sort of reviews coming out for this? Yeah, I think I, I was worried that you know it's you know it would be a funny trailer and it, and people like the concept. You know, like Nicholas Cage is Nick Cage, like it's a cool concept. But like, is that as far as it was going to go? So it was nice to see a good critical reception to it. To be honest. I think because it could have easily been slammed, and I, I mean, I, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, of course. But initial reactions were really positive. Yeah, I remember on Twitter, and I was really excited. I was like, "Ooh!" Because <laughs> it took me a few months to go and see it, um, so I was kind of avoiding spoilers. But I saw like all the the initial reaction tweets, and it was just nice that it was clearly a, a film that people enjoyed, and it wasn't just you know he has a funny idea, but it kind of flopped. So thankfully, mm-hmm. thankfully, people people did like it. So. Yeah, it's um really nice that people sort of got behind it. Um, mm-hmm. They really did. Which I, I hope sort of there's a wave that sort of carries over now. Um, I think these next big roles can be playing Dracula next year, which is just... Oh my I, God, I know. Oh, <laughs> you know, like you see the set pictures and you're like, they're like, I never thought I'd be this person, but I'm like, it's Nick and his Dracula, yes. Um <laughs> I mean, it's iconic, though. I mean, those like first look images. I was like, "Yes, you are Dracula, like, <laughs> Bella Lugosi, who man?" Like, you know, <laughs> I don't mean that the disclaimer, but yeah, it was very exciting, very exciting. So Christopher Lee, never heard of him, not in my phone book, absolutely not. <laughs> I know it's like move over, um, Lugosi Lee, uh, the the Golden Hog is in town, and he's coming for mm. next. I am um, ready. <laughs> I'm I'm so ready. I'm so ready for Dracula. But this is what I mean. Like especially when the film came out, it's it's like I don't know if if, if this sort of makes sense. But it feels like it was a cool time to be a Cage fan. Um, yeah. Because again, the positive reception was coming out, and people were getting behind the film. People were going out to see it, and now that even the Dracula pictures were sort of gaining traction. Um, and it, it felt for a long time, especially through, like I said, I sort of joke like the dark DVD days of the 2010s, um, when I think he got a lot of his, 
I guess sort of like bad press for, oh, he'll just take any film. He'll just do any sort of thing. But, you know, if you've seen the films that I've seen, oh, my God, I've seen them all. Um, (laughs) You'll know that's not true. Um, But now, like, it was like it was ironic to be a Cage fan. And then now he's got two Westerns coming out. Um, He was interviewed with, like, Hollywood Reporter Roundtable. He's at South by Southwest. Mm. Um, like Like, almost like the... Not in a bad way, like meme cages back. He's talking about his suit being like a shortbread tin. Oh, I love that. Just loving the the fact he just loved shortbread so much. I was like, yeah, so true, so true. Shortbread (laughs) is great. Like, (laughs) I watched that interview so many times. I thought it was just so funny. Love that. It's it's great because I think people are getting to sort of revisit Cage again. And even with the film, I suppose, talking of all of this, he's he's doing, like, the late-night talk shows again, and he's not done those in, like, 14 years. Mm. Um, and he's saying, like, oh, I, wanted, I, I really enjoy shortbread. I just wanted to envision shortbread. <laughs> and, and, like, just clips of that, and I'm like, he's back, baby. He's back, yes. Well, the, the thing is, like, whether or not you love him or hate him or you just like him as a meme, like, isn't it so joyful, though? Like, just seeing an actor talking about sh- shortbread, it's just nice. Do you know what I mean? It's just joyful. So it's... I think that's part of why I like him so much. <laughs> <laughs> I think because he's, he's so unapologetically himself. Like he's That's not, it. Yeah. He's not the Hollywood norm. Um, and he's and you look at these interview clips from old, because um, I was kind of definitely not stealing them or putting them on the TikTok channel. That's why I wouldn't do that. Um, <laughs> but you look at old interview clips from the past, like now he's talking about shortbread and previously he was talking about owning a two-headed snake and the one time he went to a casino and won $20,000 in one night. And he's like, and then I went to an orphanage and donated it. And it's like, <laughs> <laughs> no one else, no one else could have these yeah. incredible stories and like sometimes I think like, what if all this time like I've just been in, I've I've just been very ill and I've invented this man, and, <laughs> and, and people have just been nice. So like you know Nicholas Cage doesn't exist. He's a figment of your imagination. You've done a hundred episodes on nothing. And I'm like, like I'm waiting to wake up in the hospital bed, honestly, um, <laughs> which is kind of where I feel I am as a person. But certainly before I, I go to the hospital bed, uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, a long yet, I don't know, it's a lovely film title. I, I quite like it. It's it, it just kept growing on me, and I'm a big fan of the film title. Mm. Um, obviously, you said that you'd, it took you a while to see it. Um, when you sort of first saw the film, what was that like experience like? How how did you sort of feel when like, credits were rolling, Cage is back, you know, how was that sort of for you? I was very excited just because obviously this is him playing himself and and as we discover quite early on in the film he plays two versions of himself so you know it's Nick Cage and then there's Nicky who's almost like a sort of like I don't know like subconscious I guess but it was just so cool like from the get-go you know there were little references here and there him side by side talking to himself it was like here we go I'm ready <laughs> let's go you know so I think from the get-go I was just really hyped about it and I didn't really know what to expect thankfully I had avoided spoilers so I was just strapping in for the ride and like I say that opening scene with them in the car I was like yes I'm I'm here for it you know <laughs> and it's it sort of really grabs you sort of right from mm. the start because 
this is kind of the weird thing. I mean, I not so much like not that I wasn't avoiding spoilers, but I think as a point of principle, I had to be diving headfirst into anything and everything that came out for this. So I had, I guess, I had different ideas of what to expect. Mm. Um, then it, obviously it opens with like a home invasion and a couple watching Con Air. Like, how do I live without you? Is playing and. Oh like, yes, of course. That's before the car sequence. Yes, I, of course. I, I was like, yeah. "Whoa, like, what, what is this?" And then, and then he said he's driving in the car. He, he yeah. plays his younger self, Nikki, um, which I, I don't know if you've seen it. Is based off at least his Terry Wogan interview when he was promoting Wild at Heart. Yeah. Um, and if you, and if you, I guess for listeners, if you've not seen it, just find it because every few, like every two months this clip will resurface on Twitter. I never go viral for it apparently. Um not that I'm bitter. Um <laughs> but he he obviously it's a very sort of like older conservative audience, caged like long lank hair, leather jacket, wild heart <laughs> t shirt, cowboy boots, hand springs out into the audience, he's throwing money at them, he's doing high kicks. Um and then Terry Wogan's like, it's Nicholas Cage. Um, <laughs> it's just in, incredible. Um, and I was, I was sort of reading when they had the idea for um, uh, it was young Nick in the script for Cage renamed him Nicky. Uh, I think they he was talking about like like that guy's so obnoxious. Like I want to play that guy. What was going through his head? So you've got sort of the idea of where he was as like an obnoxious star of. Yes, yeah, and now quite a self-centered, uh, almost arrogant actor. Um, and I suppose we have to preface here: this is a very fictionalized version of Cage, as Nick will tell you, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but that, I, I sort of the, the interplay between Nick and Nikki, like, I wanted more of it. I think. I think we get I'm trying to count off the top of my head here: three scenes, maybe four of them together, and I, mm-hmm. I would. I quite wanted more of it. Um, yeah. How did you sort of feel about the dynamic as it went on through the film? Yeah, I agree. I would have liked more of the of the two of them together because I just felt that that was it was a big highlight for me. Just kind of seeing that, and like you say, the Wild at Heart reference and everything. Like it's just it's really good. So I, I don't know. It was just really cool seeing them like like head to head like that. And I I don't know. I feel like they could have dialed it up a little bit more. I think um, if they'd wanted to, but the the the, um, the scenes they were in together they were good. But like you say, it could have gone a lot further. Um, I, I did laugh a lot, though. I think they were probably my favourite scenes outside of um, Pedro Pascal, to be honest. <laughs> just every, every time Nicky was here, I'm like, here we go. Yeah, more Nicky. Um, because it was just wild. And yeah, it's kind of like him having a battle with himself, you know, and it's, it's a clever way of visualising that while kind of giving that to the audience because obviously long-term fans of him would be very familiar with, with his entire career. So just just, it was really, I liked the fact they did that. Because it could have come across as quite obnoxious, but I thought it actually kind of worked. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I know he's, he's meant to be, you know, obviously it's a, an exaggerated kind of pompous version of himself. But when you have like you know the you versus you, it can be a bit cringy sometimes. But it wasn't, thankfully. I think it, it really worked. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad that it did. I think mm. I watched it. Um, I ordered the Blu-ray just so I could sort of watch it again going into this and. I think that watching it for like like a third time at this point, I was sort of surprised at, I guess, like how early they introduced Nikki into the film as well, because it's quite a gamble, um, especially if you're not familiar with, like, I guess, the Nick Cage um, of today, that 
suddenly there's there's a second cage. Um, I suppose actually jumping back to something you said earlier, I suppose he plays three characters because he plays Sergio later in the film as well when he's all prosthetic oh, yeah. tough as well. <laughs> yeah, good so, point. <laughs> so he's actually playing three roles. Obviously, he's we'll doing get, a lot. We'll get mm-hmm. <laughs> we'll get to Sergio. Um, Cage is lifting weights for this. Um, <laughs> But he he certainly said one of the reasons he wanted to take on the role was because he gets to play Nicky as well. And um, like I said, I'd, I would have liked more of Nicky. I think they could, they certainly could have taken it further. I don't know if you saw as well, but there was um, a deleted scene that they had to cut, like a, a Dr. Caligari-inspired scene where he oh. basically he battles Nicky in his own mind. Um, I'm going to sound like I'm being paid to say this. It's on the Blu-ray. I'm not being paid to show the Blu-ray. Um, <laughs> I had to buy mine, didn't get it for free. But it's all this like black and white and it's very abstract. And then there's sort of like, uh, you know that scene in Face Off where it's like um, Archer and Troy sort of back to back against the mirrors and yeah. they do that shootout. There's a driving sequence like Guy in 60 Seconds. Um, there's like a leaving Las Vegas scene where I think he kills Nikki on like a bed. Um, so it, it's a really fun sequence, but uh, oh, it's a shame they cut that. That sounds really fun. It's a really fun sequence. I think it yeah. was unfortunately one of the things where the studio sort of said this is just a bit too much. Um, so I think they're rather like you have to lose something else. We've got to lose this scene. So uh, unfortunately, to lose that, that was another one of the reasons why Nick took the scene as well. Because um, it's, I think, a culmination of all the influences in it, the previous films, the German expressionism. So. Uh, that's a lot of fun as well. Um, but then I think obviously the the other the duo that you've got to talk about really is Pedro Pascal as well. I think a lot of people know will have known Pedro Pascal for so like your Game of Thrones, your Narcos, where he's always played, um, or he's typically played, I guess, quite macho law enforcement really. Um, mm-hmm. So this is you don't often see him in a role like this. So, and I think uh, you know we get into the that sort of part where he's introduced. And uh, how did you sort of find their dynamic? Because for me, it was just I think it's probably like the strongest bit of the film for me. Yeah, no, I absolutely loved it, and I think you know who would have thought that like Nicolas Cage and Pedro Pascal in what is essentially a buddy comedy would work, but it really, really does. It's it's brilliant. You've got so many like laugh out loud moments with them, you know. You like you've got that one from the trailer where they're trying to climb the wall, and you know, <laughs> you know, you know, you know where I'm going with that. And it's just yeah. silly, silly things like that. And they're just like you say, we're so used to Pedro being a bit more serious, you know, like the Mandalorian as well, which is, you know, obviously it does have certain comical moments with Grogu, I suppose, but you know, for the most part, it's quite a serious sort of Star Wars universe kind of thing. Whereas this is just him being a super fan, being a stan. And it was really fun to see him be a bit more goofy, you know, be a bit more passionate. Um, and it was really convincing, you know. I, I really thought his character of um, Harvey was really convincing, actually. You know, I was like, kind of, I almost forgot it was Pedro for a minute. You know, it felt like mm. it was really someone who really loved Nicolas Cage. He was, he was brilliant. I loved him. I thought it was great. I, he was genuinely like, there's an argument to be made that he steals the film, honestly, mm. and... Um, as I sort of touched on before, like, uh, not that I'd ever sort of disliked him before, but I think I would probably put myself in the Pedro Pascal stand camp, especially now, <laughs> yeah. after the film as well. Um, but he, like, he's got, like, great comedy chops. Um, mm-hmm. And 
I think it's it's something you're. It's easy to forget about Nicolas Cage as well because I sort of the, the directors and writers have said like you can forget with a person like Nicolas Cage that he is an actor who can do every genre and he can do it well. Um, and this film it goes from I guess it's almost like a, a, an indie sort of family drama. Then it goes to like a buddy comedy, and then it's a thriller, and then it's an action film, and then it's a film within a film. And um, <laughs> there's about five different genres that this film goes through. And I know that they said that was quite an overarching sort of meta thing because Nick's done all these genres, and he's got, you know, some people might have known from the 80s for the more sort of romantic indie stuff, or he might have jumped in in the 90s with the action stuff, or. You might have found him more recently with stuff like Into the Spider-Verse and like the Croods and things like that as well. Mm. Um, so it really is just like a, a love letter to him. And um, when I, I got to sort of speak to Tom Gormican and Kevin and the writer and director a few months ago, and I sort of outright said to him, like, basically, thank you for writing the character of Javi because I've finally seen myself represented on screen. <laughs> um, Amazing. <laughs> a Nicolas Cage lunatic. Um, and they have agreed that they would like to see me break down in tears if I ever met him. <laughs> Which I use the description like if you want to see a thirty-year-old man react to Nicolas Cage as if it was like a teen girl in the sixties reacting to the Beatles, that is basically exactly where I would be—just crying, just <laughs> unintelligible, uh, just snotty-nosed. Um, I mean, how's your Nicolas Cage memorabilia collection? How much do you have? I mean... I can see some of it. <laughs> I suppose for the listener, for the quick talk, I've mentioned before, we've got the Nicolas Cage life-size cutout standee, which is... He's barely holding up because my cat has systematically destroyed the base. Knows what he's doing. <laughs> um, I've got a, like a little Nicolas Cage on a face stick. Um, I've got some Nicolas Cage art up there. Uh, I've got a Nicolas Cage Superman enamel pin. And I can't reach it because I'll knock stuff down. But you may have seen the classic uh, Nicolas Cage sequin pillow likes in the film as well. Yes. Uh, um, I now have two of those. Amazing. <laughs> um, which is like pff, incredible because I've in my circle become the Nicolas Cage guy. So I've got a Nicolas Cage colouring book as well. I forgot about that. There um, we go. I mean, you could rival this guy's collection if you don't stop, you know. <laughs> oh, all that. All I need is like a cousin who's secretly like a crime lord. Um, yeah, <laughs> and that would be that would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously Pedro Pascal playing Javi in this film, who is the super fan, the CIA believe him to be sort of the head of a criminal empire, and they believe he's responsible for uh, the kidnapping of the girl at the start of the film. Um, is, she, is she is she like a president's daughter? Um, or was it something? Yeah, like that? something like that. Yeah, like some high profile government person. Uh, Someone on a very high yeah. up um, mm-hmm. proxy list. So Nicholas Cage is obviously torn between his friendship for Javi, which sort of develops over the film, and trying to, I guess, out CIA with his novo shamanic acting ability. Um, and I guess we got to talk about the uh, the cage room as well because that sort of happened. It was I could sort of like hear, hear like angel singing in my head like oh <laughs> yeah and then I was trying to count like oh what can I see what can I see because um, I think it's it's just a great scene that just shows off like almost like his vulnerability and his fandom um, what, what did you sort of make of the cage room 
I think it's brilliant, and I think you know that the bit when he goes up to like the sort of life size statue of him, and he's kind of like, "How much is that?" And then Harry's like, "It's not for sale," <laughs> you know, like yeah. like he's so proud of everything that he's collected, and it <laughs> it must be quite surreal to be an actor and to go into a room like that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so it was, it was, it was just it was a great scene. I'm you know I think it was because it was done in such a dramatic way as well. You know, like like a treasure trove of of things that he's collected. Um, yeah, yeah, just really great. <laughs> yeah, it's it's sort of the build to it as well because they've mm-hmm. they've had this yeah. like they've they've gone to the cliffs together. They've jumped off cliffs. Um, have you sort of force Nick this cage into this, this sort of world to get on board with him? And then you think that this is where the girl's going to be, and it's just a museum um, to Nick this cage. And I was trying to note down sort of everything I could see. Um, and there's probably still stuff that I've missed. Um, there was definitely the the axe and the chainsaw from Mandy. Uh, I noted the wooden hand from Moonstruck. There was the Conair Bunny. Uh, the green chemical balls from The Rock. Um, the tights mask from Raising Arizona. There was an empty bottle. I'm assuming that's from Leaving Las Vegas. Mm. Um, various scripts, magazines, clapperboards. The sequin pillar, obviously. The must-have for any self-respecting Cage fan. <laughs> um, when I watched the film for the third time, actually, I, I listened with the uh, director's audio commentary, which was quite interesting. And they said that when they got the uh, the wax figure statue, like it initially didn't look anything like Nick, so they had to get their makeup team in to make it look as as Nick like as possible. <laughs> oh wow! Um, but they've said that they now don't know where the uh, where the waxwork figure ended up. But they, <laughs> <laughs> they were just on the commentary, like. I'm going to assume that Nicolas Cage owns it now, or at least Pedro Pascal has it in his home. Um, so I think that's I think that's the truth. I I choose to accept that Pedro Pascal owns a grotesque Nicolas Cage waxwork. Yeah, I really hope either one of them owns it. You know, it would just make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Although this being said, though, and I wouldn't expect you to say yes to this because I I wouldn't expect anyone to be just as insane and go to this rabbit hole. But it turns out there are a lot of bad Nicolas Cage waxworks out there. Um, some of them worse than the one in the film. Some of them are legitimately terrifying. There's the famous <laughs> one of like the face-off Cage and Travolta waxwork figures. Um, but if you want to go down a rabbit hole, uh, you find yourself the Nicolas Cage waxworks because there are more than you think. Um, <laughs> I bet. I'll, I will say that much. Um Obviously, the, the golden handguns from Face Off as well, mm-hmm. which is you know how, how can you not have them in there? Um, uh, certainly, there's you know it's quite a few names in this as well. Obviously, uh, there's um, Lily Sheen as Addie, daughter of Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen in what I found was her first acting role, mm. which is you think like my first acting role is ridiculous. Cage retire now. Incredible, yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and, like, and then she has like you know Kate Beckinsale and Michael Sheen's parents retire. <laughs> you've seen it all, man. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> there's there's nothing left for you to do, Lily Sheen. You've you've, you've nothing well left done. to prove. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say as well because I don't think I think Lily Sheen really got enough credit sort of the first go around in this um, mm. because I say as we said the the changing genres of the film and. I guess that the film moves at quite like a pace as well, so 
it's kind of easy to sort of fall behind with both her and Sharon Horgan as well, who plays sort of Nick's ex-wife, um, Olivia. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's worth talking about uh, sort of Lily and Sharon Horgan as well. So how are they for you? Because f- for me, I think they were sort of great casting because um, Lily as Annie was sort of great. I think potentially from experience could probably speak to the whole, oh, my, my parent is a celebrity kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I think Sharon Horgan obviously comedy chops to those who know it just just does exasperate it really really well um how was it for you i was just about to say she does exasperate it incredibly well and i think you know obviously <laughs> you know that the stuff she's the stuff she deals with you know um the bit when he just ends up singing it like you know the the daughter's party and she's like what are you doing please like it's just sort of like really embarrassed almost by it by this you know man um and it's kind of sad though because you even though this version of Nicolas Cage is incredibly obnoxious, like you still feel sorry for him because it's like, you know, they're clearly sick of his shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Addy and him, there is some really tender moments between the two of them though, as as the film goes on, you know, and you've got that lovely end scene, which obviously we'll talk about later um, between the two of them. And I just think it's, it's the right mix of sort of exasperated, like, "Oh, Oh my God, like what have you got yourself into now? And then, surprisingly tender moments as well so yeah i was i was impressed with it because often they can run the risk of becoming side characters that aren't really needed or they're not particularly strong but i thought they were um yeah i thought they were good yeah yeah definitely i I think that's because this is obviously you know this is sort of the nicholas cage show and then it's the nicholas cage and pedro pascal show Uh um and i think that was a concern sort of the first time watching it is that like Obviously, we're here for like these two, so let's you know, let's like make no bones about it. But mm-hmm. y- you sort of wonder, like, oh, sort of Addy and Olivia, you're just going to kind of fall and become sort of sort of C plot C characters. But definitely with Olivia later on as well, when what you might think is kind of like sort of a throwaway line of like how Nick and Olivia met, and you get a little shout out for um, uh, Captain Corelli's mandolin as well. Says, so oh, she was a makeup artist on a mandolin, and that's how they met, and then that comes back into it later and Sharon Horgan is given like much more to do. And I was like, get in, get in Sharon, go on. Um, (laughs) Which was, which was great. And then I see you get the tender moments as well, because I I think I like how they did it at the start where like Nick and his daughter in sort of family therapy and you don't sort of realize they're in family therapy. And he's just trying to talk about Dr. Caligari as he is throughout (laughs) the film. Um, and I think you get this idea that he's there's a good dad in there, but it, but he he doesn't know how to separate. And I suppose with the whole the whole duality of Nick versus Nicky, like he doesn't know how to separate the movie star from the man. And yeah, I guess it speaks to like um quite a wider thing of like how we perceive Nicolas Cage and like who is he, who is Nicolas Cage, and I think that's what he wants to sort of find out by the end of the film as well. Um, and now I'm just thinking. It's just got me thinking. I'm like, oh, this film's got way more layers than I thought it had. Bravo! It it actually does, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And, and like you said, like this is why I like talking about films on podcasts and stuff because I I never really clocked on to the sort of not being able to separate the the thing, especially with Nikki. Like obviously, I saw it with Caligari, but you know, Nikki was the sort of like even more fictionalized version of himself. So it's very it's very psychological and very sort of like you know. I, I don't know, just like lots of like things that's going on in his brain. It's 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 
for a comedy film, it's actually quite heavy, you know? Like, it's <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah. It's what I'm trying to say. Sorry, the heat's got me all, like, bloody. But, yeah, it's, that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> it's got layers. It's got layers. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, again, this is, we're trying to say a lot of things at the moment. We're so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, these are the worst possible conditions for recording a podcast. Honestly, mm-hmm. but this is this is the dedication. A hundred episodes. We're doing in. our best. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I guess, sort of speaking of like the duality as well, it was, um, I guess something I didn't clock until watching it for the third time with the audio commentary. Um, and I, I feel really pretentious saying that. I actually want to do the audio commentary. I feel, <laughs> feel so pretentious saying that. But when they have the, um, I guess it's like the the last sort of face to face with Nick and Nicky in his head. They sort of pointed out that um, it was almost like like a black box theater, like where it's staged. So it's like, well, mm. this is this is basically where. Um, an actor would fight his inner actor in his mind in a sort of theatre stage. That's how an actor's mind would be like laid out as well. I was like, fucking layers. Incredible. <laughs> <laughs> it really is. Uh, it's like Tom uh, Tom Gormican and Kevin and like the brief time I got to chat to you, I did I did not give you the props that you deserved. You deserved far more out of me in the 20 minutes that we got. I guess one of the great sort of Nick Nicky scenes as well i think uh, the one in the bar which i suppose we've got to talk about as well um how did you sort of feel about nick kissing nicky nick french <laughs> kissing himself i obviously you're supposed to be a little bit uncomfortable and kind of like what is going on but i wanted batch it i got batch it you know what i mean like i was like this this film can go wherever it wants at this point like i'm i'm in i'm here you know like it was very awkward, it was very uncomfortable. I think the entire screen was just kind of like, um, okay. <laughs> but for a film like this, it does work, you know. Like I feel like, like you said, it it, it goes from so many genres and so much is happening. So to to do that, like it it doesn't even seem that jarring, really, in the grand scheme of things. It's just it's it's on brand. It works. Yeah, I was I I was you know. It would would have taken a lot for this film to sort of lose me, um, and that was not the moment. It did not lose me, but then you get that sort of like, like your neck fucking gauge. Oh and, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and then obviously you sort of look at it. This was Nick's idea. It's like, oh, I've got to like French kiss myself, and I think someone said to him like, oh, when you like reach reach down and like you grab like Nick's ass as well. And then he's like, oh, I don't know about that. And then he sort of watched the, the take back. He went, oh, wow, that's actually quite good. Um, and then it's it's the line like, Nick smooch is good. You tell everyone that Nick Cage smooch is good. And I feel, <laughs> in my head, I'm like, there was never a doubt in my mind that he smooched good. No. Um, well, th- th- thank you for confirming that, though. We needed to see that. Thank you. <laughs> it's just funny. <laughs> it's just like you say I think it's just it's the delivery of the lines as well like it's very classical like he's got such a delivery about him hasn't he the way he says things like you say the Nick fucking Cage thing and by the way your impression of Nick Cage is really good um, I don't Thank know you. if you've worked on it but it makes me laugh every time you do it so. I've had a hundred episodes to work on it and I'm not uh, just being polite I genuinely mean that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah no I think it's just it's just the over exaggeration of it the absolute it just goes from French kissing to him shouting that shit and you're just like bring it on man I want to see more <laughs> you know <laughs> this is great I, 
again, I think this goes into it's something I've talked about before on the podcast, and I think Nick this cage especially is I, I mean definitely at this point in his career he he knows the perception of himself, I think he knows what people want out of a Nicholas Cage performance, and he gets so many um like Nick Cage turns here there's because he there's a lot of like quotable things obviously Nick fucking Cage Cage Smooch is good when him and Javi are on the cliff face and then like Javi's taking him on this like journey um because he's 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 desperate to like I guess like Nick to act out this fantasy and then he delivers this line in a way that only Nick Cage can deliver it's like on a wild goose chase <laughs> like <laughs> yeah like only Nicolas Cage could could deliver that line in that way, and even like his first his very first interaction with Harvey before he knows who he is, he's like, "This Harvey if he wants me to suck his dick or wants me to fuck his wife or watch me watch him fuck his wife, that's no bueno." Uh, yeah, like, it's just just say more words. Um, it's it's just it's mesmerizing isn't it like you say it's it's his unique way of saying things it just works on so many levels and i love it when he shouts things i love that that's great and you know obviously you've got the not the bees you know everyone knows that one you've got all sorts that he does and it's just you're gonna shout with every line in this film for me and i would have just been like yes (laughs) i just love it so much and like it's because it's just become such an iconic part of his character i just think that you know, they had every right to go as hard as they did. They could have gone harder, as we said. They could have really pushed the boat out if they wanted to. But I suppose, yeah. you know, it is a Lionsgate production. It's not like an independent thing. I suppose they had to tone it down a little bit, I guess. Um, but diehard Cage fans would have loved to see it dialed up to 100. And oh, we would have loved it. <laughs> absolutely. I, I suppose that was a thing going into it. I was like, oh, I wonder how many sort of Cage references that there's going to be. I wonder how cagey this cage is gonna be I think like they don't have the stones to reference vampires kiss in this they haven't got this the balls <laughs> the, t- the temerity to to uh to give us that but i think cage is just quotable and going back to what you said earlier about the nicholas cage losing his shit video mm. to, to this day from um from the film deadfall i will still quote hi fucking yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> just just give me an excuse and i'll and i'll just like it's just become part of my language now. While we're here, what's the one where he just walks into the bar and just yells "fuck" for like a very long time? He just goes "fuck" for like ages. That is what also is dead. That? that is also Deadfall. Is it? Oh, I haven't seen that one. You see, but that that is my favorite sort of like reaction, like clip to do for things. I just literally clip that and just send it. It's brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> but I haven't seen the film, sadly. I mean, I have to recommend it at the same time. I cannot recommend it. <laughs> I, I, I talked about this on uh, Caged In uh, with with Petros. We sort of yep. we tried to we tried to put this film to bed for the both of us. And like, this is one of these films. I can only sort of describe it as similar to the room. It's like you just have to watch it. But for me, <laughs> the sh- the shortest summary I can give is that it's both a one star and a five star film, and I will not elaborate on it. Fair enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can't, you, you just can't describe it. Although there was, um, there was like a like a metal punk band in the nineties called Snot that made a song called Deadfall, which actually summarizes the film really well. So if you've got <laughs> if you've got two minutes to listen to like um like a punk metal song, that's a great way to summarize the film. Um, 
I'm interested now. Okay. <laughs> if, if that's not sold you on the film, then uh, <laughs> then I then I don't know what is. Um, I think something I want to sort of bring up as well. I guess, I guess, like the plot in general, really, because it's there's definitely influences of like other films. I guess when we get to like the second act and the um, the Nick and Javi sort of buddy comedy is in for like full swing. Um, and obviously there's the, uh, they get into the, the idea that they're going to write like a screenplay together because it gives Cage an excuse to stay on the island. You get into that moment where it's quite meta and they're sort of talking about these things. It's like, oh, like, oh, like, I don't like talky comedies. You got to have some plot to drive it forward. And then they get into that whole drug scene as well, um, which we will talk about. But mm-hmm. it was kind of like adaptation for me where it gets to a point where you basically just see the film being written that they were talking about the whole time with that sort of like meta aspect of it. Um, did, did that sort of work for you when they're sort of saying like, oh, like when they're saying, oh, action scenes are kind of just forced in, then like the whole last bit is an action scene. And then they're talking about the film and the things they're saying they don't want to happen start happening as well. Did, did, did that work for you? Did that land? It it did, yeah, and I think, you know, as much as this is a love letter to Nicolas Cage, I also got the impression it was a love letter to filmmaking as well, because, you know, like, it does explore all these genres, it does explore the silly little tropes that we've come to know and love or hate, depending on who you are. <laughs> so I just like the fact it's explored in a way where the two of them can sort of argue about what they think the film should be as we kind of go along with them. And, you know, it's completely nonsensical in places, but I guess that's... Anybody who's tried to write a screenplay may have gone through that journey themselves, you know, like, like, can I put this in? This is really stupid, you know, whatever. So, so yes, as daft as it is, it did work for me. Yeah, Just based on those reasons, I like a bit of meta sort of self-referential nonsense, you know. <laughs> I enjoy that kind of stuff, honestly. Definitely. I think, you know, as you said, if there was ever a time that a meta film was going to come together and work, then it was definitely mm-hmm. a film like this. and. As you said, it, it's it's very much a love letter to filmmaking, as it is a love letter to uh, to Nicolas Cage. And I sort of remember ask, um, when I spoke to the, the director and the writer, I, I said um, I went into this film expecting a lot of stuff, um, but what I never expected was the the, the sheer adoration for Paddington Two. Yes, I was hoping we would talk about this. <laughs> <laughs> I I saw it in the cinema twice. Um, and every time, like the like the whole Paddington two got some like the biggest laughs, um, which was just just heartwarming. And um, when they're talking about their top three films, and have his like uh, all face off is up there. It's uh, Doctor Caligari, and it's like, well, what's your third film? You got to tell what's your third film. It's like Paddington two. Then the, the it's, cinema's it's like, the way he says it as well. Paddington two. <laughs> <laughs> it was like oh, it's like he says it's like. Paddington 2 is not in your top three. Um, and then he... <laughs> it's the line he says, I cried through the entire thing and it made me want to be a better man. <laughs> yes. <laughs> just just brilliant stuff. Um, obviously, yeah. to sort of like pass it back to you, like Paddington 2, um, when that gets mentioned, uh, you know, what were your thoughts and feelings at that point? It's it's a lovely little moment, isn't it? Because obviously Cage is big on, you know, Caligari, which obviously is a very celebrated, very sort of, you know, highbrow piece of cinema. 
but then you can also appreciate how bloody brilliant Paddington 2 is. You know? Like, am, mm. I, am I right in thinking that, like, it's on par with Citizen Kane or something like that on Rotten Tomatoes? Like, it's, it's done something to, to be compared to Citizen Kane. And it's just, yeah. it's nuts, because, like, it's just a lovely, wholesome little film about a, a really famous bear, and it's, and it's whimsical and family-friendly, but hey, it's a bloody good film. So, you know, <laughs> it should be celebrated, and I just think it was funny, because, you know, the whole, like I say, the whole film was about celebrating filmmaking, and I think that the beauty of, of film and film fans is that it's so diverse, and there's so many genres, and there's so much you can do, so, so why not love Paddington 2, you know? I think if you ask me for my top like three or four favourite films, it'd probably be a wild amount of genres. They'd be very bizarre. You know, I would yeah. go from like Saw to like Mary Poppins, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I just would. <laughs> so, Lovely. you know, I think it's absolutely fine to, to think that way. So I love that moment. It was brilliant. If you like Nicolas Cage going like, like Calgary, Paddington, make that make sense, but connect those dots. <laughs> but it, but it's, it's like he's saying, and I sort of know that like, we don't, I don't think we get Cage's like top three in the film, but mm. he, gives, he gives all these reasons, which is a very cinephile reason. Is like, well, you're asking me to compare like a hundred years of cinema, and you know, every every move, movie can react to in a different way, depending on your thoughts and your feelings and where you are in your life. Um, and then I, I remember, like, I was just sitting in the cinema, going, like, yeah, 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 this guy's got a point, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, dare ask me my top three films. Um, yeah, it's a hard question to ask anybody, isn't it? Your top three films because you kind of freeze and you're like, "Do I be honest or do I try and impress you? Like, what am I doing?" <laughs> you know, it depends on who asks you. Honestly, I know it, it's like, I think if it's like, I think you've got to ask me on my deathbed. I think at that point, I, I might have had time, but <laughs> it's so I'm trying to think now, and like, I don't think I could tell you what my top three films were. It's just like fog. No, I couldn't uh, order them. Like, I'll give you a top ten, but they would be kind of on par with each other, honestly. <laughs> I, so I mean, hard. I would, I would. This, I mean, this changes all the time. I would struggle to pick like a top three, a top five, like Nicolas Cage films. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. I, I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to put you on the spot. I was like, if you hypothetically, <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if you were asked, would you have a three five that you would put in sort of your top top cage films i mean i'm, I'm just going to proudly say vampires kiss i don't care purely because of entertainment factor you know because it's my personal top three so i can do what i want <laughs> yeah yeah um, vampires I, kiss shoulders back wear it with pride i, I do I, I do man because it's just great fun and i you know what? i do i do love kick ass as well hmm. he's not in for very long but boy he delivers it's a great great little uh little uh, role for him there. I love that. I mean, Kick Ass is a brilliant film, anyway. Um, and then probably you gotta go face off, man. You gotta. You know what I mean? Like it's just it's yeah. the, it's the classic. You know, everyone knows Face Off. Yeah, I I managed to introduce my other half to Face Off a few. It's about a month ago, a month and a bit ago now. Oh, excellent! How'd they and get I, on? Um, I'd sort of said to her like, I can't really ex- if someone tries to explain the plot of Face Off to you. <laughs> and you've not seen the film, you're gonna think someone's had a stroke. It's not gonna make sense. Um, and then, it, and then they have, and then there's an explosion in an airplane, and then faces get swapped, and then they're in a, a super futuristic prison in the nineties. Um, mm. Then it's, it's it's the ramblings of someone who's had a bad dream. Cinema. <laughs> <laughs> it's peak cinema, baby. <laughs> 
but enjoyed it. But uh, also finally managed to get to watch Conair, um, oh. which she did much prefer. Although I've said for the sake of balance, at some point we need to schedule in the screening of The Rock as well. So then you've got the oh. three big action ones. And Not then, The Rock. <laughs> and then we'll talk top three. Um, the Rock's fun. It's not my top three, though. <laughs> I, I think it. I think it holds up. Good ch- cheesy Michael Bay action. Um, mm-hmm. I've, I've, you know, I think nearly a year ago at the point of recording, I've been to the Prince Charles Cinema in, in uh, London and yeah. an all night cage movie marathon. And oh, brilliant! Honestly, watching The Rock, then Conair, then face off with an audience of people, it's a different experience. It's just. I bet. It's just wild. And then what I wouldn't recommend is after having like no sleep for close to 30 hours watching Mandy at 7am in the morning. Oof. Um, yes. I'm, I'm still not okay. Oh, it's... I'm sure you're not. <laughs> it, I'm a, a different... <laughs> when you've watched Mandy at 7 in the morning and then you take a, um, a contemplative walk back to Victoria Coach Station for a five-hour megabus back to the north... Mm. You don't come back from that. That's pretty rough. <laughs> I mean, I love the all nighters at the Prince Charles. Just again, not sponsored, but they are great. Um, I did a Wes Anderson one, um, which was bizarre because a bit like you, I was a bit delirious because it was just like Bill Murray over and over again, and I was like, <laughs> Bill Murray again? Like it was six a.m. and I was like, not more Bill Murray. Like, it was really <laughs> surreal. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like just him in different costumes throughout the course of. So I think the last one was um, Grand Budapest Hotel. So I watched that, came out at like 7am and I was just like, oh, so much Bill Murray. But it was great, you know. <laughs> but it's a very surreal experience, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'd, I'd recommend everyone do an all-night movie marathon once. Yeah, um, do it at the Prince Charles for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. Prince Charles is, is is the place to do it. Um, mm-hmm. I think uh, so sort of trying to get my mind back from that dark time of uh, <laughs> p- pure survival instinct. Mm. Um, this is, I think where the film, maybe not lost people, where I think some people might turn off from the film is sort of towards the third act when it does go into sort of full action. Um, because at this point we've had basically the, I guess I call it the Nick Cage James Bond audition where he's in a full white suit infiltrating that computer room. He's drugged out of his mind, <laughs> um, which I greatly enjoyed, uh, sort of the physical comedy of Cage there. Uh, we've had um, Cage and Javi taking acid, which I think is the funniest moment of the of the film. Them just like tripping, talking about the movie. It's like, oh, it's, it's got to be a character-driven drama. Um yeah. And then when you sort of, I guess you get to the point where um, you've had the reveal that Harry's cousin Lucas is actually the big bad of the movie. The CIA still think that Harry is responsible and they want Cage to kill Harry. Lucas is telling Harry to kill Cage. Um, and you do get some good moments here, but when it's sort of, it's quite a sudden reveal that like Lucas was behind it the whole time. Did that sort of hit for you or did you feel that was a bit of a weaker moment of the film? slightly weak because they, they just sort of do it over cereal if I remember correctly they're having breakfast and yes. he just sort of reveals it and you're like oh okay <laughs> so yeah like it, I guess it's not the dramatic villain reveal that you would expect but perhaps 
it's suited to this film because it does it doesn't tend to follow you know the, the rules that we expect and you know that character's not really that important in the grand scheme of things is he like you know it's all about cage and it's all about Harvey really so I don't know I would have I, I like a big dramatic reveal but I'm kind of torn on it I don't know how, how I felt about it like maybe it could have been more dramatic maybe it just it was supposed to be understated I don't know how I feel um mm. like it wasn't bad but I just don't know how they could have made it fit the film if that makes sense yeah I, I get that I think for me I was I was already invested in the film. I was like, I'm in for the whole thing here. So, <laughs> like, it was definitely weak because, like I said, they do it over serial. And um, yeah. I, I think it's Paco Leon who plays Lucas, who um, I is, is a huge star in Spain. Nicolas Cage said he found the man to be incredibly charismatic. Um, and I think some of that charisma sort of does come off. In the, again, I'm saying about the audio commentary, apparently um, Paco made the decision to dye his hair blonde and he wanted to have all gold teeth, but they're like, we've got to draw the line somewhere. <laughs> um, so Amazing. They, so they had to uh, turn the back on the uh, on, on the all gold teeth. But I think by that point, it was like, yeah, you know, it's like the C, the whole CIA stuff, I was like, you know, if... If it was just like a straight thing with like just the family stuff or just him and the Harry stuff, and it wasn't this sort of like intentional blending of genres, I think it would have been for better or worse a completely different film. Mm. Um, I didn't mind it because like I am the bullseye of target demographic for this film, so I I, I can't bring myself to say too, too much bad about it. Yeah, um, but I under I understand why people would be a bit like this. What is this film at this yeah. point? Um, but but it does bring us something we mentioned in earlier, where um, we get the third Cage character, which is Sergio, mm-hmm. which is um, Cage goes basically, I guess, extra undercover in prosthetics as um, an old Italian, almost football manager style gangster in this tracksuit. <laughs> yeah, they, I think they yeah. do reference him earlier, but they said, "Oh, no one knows what Sergio looks like, so we're just going. This is our plan to get a." Uh, um, Addy and um, oh, is it is it is it Maria? Maria, yeah. Addy's been taken and Maria's been taken. This is the plan to get them back. But I say what I did like about um, it was like a, just another ridiculous moment in the film, just cage of full prosthetics, and I think it was an all right prosthetic job because I think it's very hard to make Nicolas Cage look like someone who's not Nicolas Cage. Um, <laughs> yeah. How uh, you know how how did Sergio work for you? It's a really funny little reveal, isn't it? And yeah, I think the football manager comparison there is pretty spot on. You know what I mean? Like it's just very sort of tracksuit, like kind of you know, like the the hair, the 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 kind of thick facial features. Like it was, and it's just really funny because it's such a ridiculous plan when you think about it. Because you know we get the impression Nick's not that good at doing an Italian accent. You know he doesn't really blend in that well. It's a bit of a mess, really, um, and we know it's going to go wrong, and we're just waiting for it to go wrong. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this reveal greatly. Uh, made me laugh. That <laughs> <laughs> sort of read as well that in uh, in classic Cage fashion, uh, Cage had created an entire backstory for Sergio. Um, he'd even said to the director, <laughs> he'd even said to the director like he he wants a movie about Sergio and like his whole deal as well. Yes, um, I would watch it. I'd be all over the Sergio film. Same, um, but I'd, 
I think one of the things, again, that bears repeat viewings, if you sort of watch closely, you'll realise that Cage is adding all these different mannerisms to Sergio as well. Like, he throws a gun down, and it's like this open-handed, underarm throw. So, you know, this Sergio person is in it for like know, two, three minutes, but mm. Cage is giving him, it's like like a swag or a walk, like the Montalbane accent. Yeah! <laughs> it's, it's like... Cage didn't have, did not have to go that hard on Sergio, but he did, um, which is like, you can't be angry about it. Yeah, I mean, uh, say what you want, but he always gives a hundred percent to everything he does. You know what I mean? Like, mm. if, even if he's in a film for five seconds, he will own that five seconds. He will do it. He will go <laughs> hard, and you will not forget it. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. Um, then he gets sort of like a, like a callback loop when he's, he's at gunpoint from Lucas. And at mm-hmm. the start of the film, he's met the director, David Gordon Green, who he worked with on Joe. And he he's basically desperate to impress him, wants to do this table read. And he gets to do like the whole, like, it takes 13 milliseconds, like that whole Boston accent thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it turns out Cage can shoot a gun and he's like a, a, a badass with a gun. Harry comes in and goes all narcos on people. Um, and it sort of brings us to basically like a, a big sort of car chase scene and then uh, having Gabriella staying behind and shooting with the golden guns. And I guess I, I kind of liked the idea that Javi sort of becoming his hero with the golden guns and becoming his, basically becoming Nicolas Cage with the golden guns. Um, and I know we've sort of been talking about it, but the, this whole sort of finale, like the, like the action scene, the prosthetics, then we're going into the car chase and the sacrifices and the guns into going to the US embassy, like a lot mm-hmm. happens. A lot so happens in the last happens. twenty minutes. You know, this 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 penultimate part of the movie, like were you just fully on board? It's like I guess we're an action movie you now. Like were you Oh I I was loving it at that point. I just thought, you know, I love <laughs> I love a nonsensical guns blazing action sequence. I thought it was great, you know, I just thought you've got guns, you've got knives, you've got all sorts yeah, <laughs> let's go. <laughs> big, big finale. Let's do it, you know. It just, uh, I was expecting it. <laughs> I know. So I, you know. I wasn't against it. I was I was completely mm. into it. I think definitely the, the thing that, the first time I watched it, the thing that confused me um, was like Addy sort of throws the knife to Nick who then stabs Lucas. He's like, ah! Yeah. And then suddenly Demi Moore is there. And I think... When we were in the cinema, everyone was like, "What? Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's like what is going on?" And then the camera pushes through the screen. Then you realise we're watching the Hollywood version, and then Cage is getting a standing ovation. And it's that again, that sort of adaptation thing. We realise we've just certainly seen the transition into the film that Nick and Harry were writing the whole time. And then it, I guess really like it. The endings, it's very feel good. You know, Javi writes his screenplay, Nick Cage is back, not that he went anywhere. Cage gets his family back. It's it's a very touching um, yeah. sort of story. Like, you know, the, the, right at the ending, like, where did you sort of enjoy how sort of like, I guess how like Kushti all, all sort of felt? I thought it was lovely and I liked the fact that they were watching Paddington too because, you know, it, it continues on that bit while kind of having the, the nice wholesome moment as well. Uh, you know, and obviously it links back to him saying it wants to make him a better man and that's what he's doing when he's watching it. It's so poetic. <laughs> we love it. <laughs> but it's just very sweet, isn't it? And I just think, 
Yeah, I think he just deserved, he deserved to be happy, and all Cage fans wanted a nice little ending for him, so that's exactly what we got. And yes, it was sugar, sugary sweet and nice, but it, it just worked. Like, I can't really explain it, because this film is so insane, but like most decisions just, just make sense, you know? <laughs> yeah. Asi- aside from the villain reveal, I'm not too sure on that, but most things for me, I was just fully on board with it. It's just just worked. Yeah, yeah. I think you, you get like a film like this on paper, and I think you'd think a lot of this probably wouldn't mm. work. Um, but I think it's like you're rooting for Cage, even though he's a bit obnoxious at the start, and he comes round and. The secret is, if you want to be a better person, you watch Paddington too. Um, <laughs> but I yeah. thought, sort of like the, the director has said that, like, basically, there is so much goodwill for Nicolas Cage in the world, and people wanting to succeed. And I think that really translates into the film as well. And you know, th- th- there's been, I guess, in, you know, in 2022 and surrounding years, there's always that debate going like, oh, they, they don't do original movies anymore. And then. Then you get a movie like this, you've got everything everywhere all at once, you've got the Northman and mm. um you know, just like Nick of this cage, like you know, cinema never went anywhere. It was here the whole time. Mm-hmm. Which is wonderful. And one of the facts I loved as well was at the end of Principal Photography, uh the whole cast was gifted a pillow with Nicholas Cage's face on it and he autographed them all to give to his fellow <laughs> cast members. Isn't, nice. isn't he just the loveliest man? The loveliest lad. Um, yeah, he, he seems really great in real life, and it's funny because obviously the, the whole premise for this is he goes to see a fan to, ha- to to go to his birthday party purely for the money, and then it's not about the money by the end of it, and it's just like, oh, look at that growth. We love to see it, you know, because because <laughs> they end up becoming really close, and it's just nice. It's I enjoyed just... it very much. <laughs> I did. I. <laughs> Like and I know we were sort of talking about it early, and not that I'm going to commit to giving like a top five cage films. I think for me, I could make an argument for unbearable weight to be in there. Mm. Um, but but again, like I'm, I'm, I just don't know what they'd be. I just don't know what the top five would be. There's been no. forty years of cage cinema, and every film has a different mood. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think on that sort of like lovely sort of like plateau at the ending as well um i guess what would be for yourself your your final wrapped up thoughts on the unbearable weight of massive talent i do think it is a bit of a marmite film i won't lie because there will be people out there who will be like oh this is just fancy this is just stupid this is just like you know stuffing in references but i do think it's a genuinely good film you know like it's it is funny it has action moments it does have a lot of heart you know, it does have a lot of callbacks to the rest of his career, but it's, you know, for a film about Nicolas Cage, it, it does, you know, you, you care about Harvey, you care about the filmmaking process, you care about so many elements to the point where it, it kind of, it celebrates so many things. So, I, it, you know, it could have very easily just been a sort of, um, what do you call it, like, narcissistic, like, oh, hey, look at me, I'm Nicolas Cage, but it, it never felt that way. And I think that was really clever because it could have run the risk of just being like, look how great I am. I'm a big actor. I'm playing myself. But it, it just made it work, you know? Like, yeah. even though the character himself was obviously obnoxious and he went on that journey, I never got the impression he was in it to just be himself. I think he got something more out of it. So I think, you know, diehard fans will definitely love it. Um, it might be a bit of a disappointment for some people, but I think it's a pretty solid film, to be honest. 
Yeah, like I, I, I anticipate this to end on hopefully to come in like twenty twenty two top ten lists. Yeah. I hope, I hope, and I pray. I mean, I've been disappointed before. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, don't talk to me about pig, but I'm. Ex- oh. I hope this gets some award sniffs at the very mm-hmm. least, just something. Yeah. Um, that we can latch on to, but seemed a lot of people enjoyed it. It's sitting at currently eighty six percent on Rotten Tomatoes, and that's good. Um, asking people on Twitter as well. We got said a Road to Nowhere podcast saying warm hug of a movie. Pedro Pascal was incredibly lovable. Yes, he absolutely was. Uh, Charlotte has mentioned liked it even more on the second time. My fourteen year old who loves Pedro even admitted that Nick was quite good. She even laughed. Um, so it's it's got the teen vote. And Callum Cooper thought it was a really fun OTKage in his career. I felt the story loses a bit of magic in its last third, but engaging and charismatic as a whole. Plus, I felt so validated by the Paddington 2 love in the film. Yeah. Um, which, you know, if, if nothing else, the takeaway is, again, watch Paddington 2 and you will be a better person for it. And also massive <laughs> talent. Watch those two as a little double bill there. Yeah. Um, as we sort of come to the end of this episode for the unbearable weight of massive talent, it's left for me to say, uh, Lizzie Bugus, thank you so much for joining me on the most warm, awful, horrible day to record a podcast in <laughs> podcasting history. You're a trooper. Thank you so oh, much. Oh, so are you. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. Thanks. No. And for the listeners, uh, where can we find you on the socials and all that such as well? Yeah, so mostly I'm on Twitter, um, as I think we all are. Um, so I'm at Lucy Jade Buglis on Twitter, or you can follow my Instagram, which is just at Lucy Buglis. Uh, oh, I have my podcast as well, so I've got at TV Time Pod is a podcast. Wonderful stuff. Well, thanks again so much. Uh, we're both to go and jump in front of our respective fans in our respective yes. homes. Um, <laughs> and, and just try and not instantly collapse as soon as we start recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that brings us to the end of uh, an unbearably hot podcast for the unbearable weight of massive talent. Uh, to you, dear listener, thank you for listening. If you have been, we shall see you again very soon sometime, I'm sure. But until then, and as ever... Keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you. Take care and goodbye. And there we have it. Episode 100. Done. Dusted. Nirvana is here. I hope you feel as elated as I do. Don't let my monotone voice take anything away from that. It's weird. A day we thought would never come is finally here. Um, I'm wondering what I'm going to do now. Well, I'm going to celebrate the way that Nicholas Cage would want me to celebrate, and that is by consuming a uh, a KFC and a uh, some champagne. I don't know anything about champagne, but Nicholas Cage has said it's a great combination. I feel that's a fitting way to celebrate. Um, 100 episodes of this podcast um and until we catch up with cage the next time remember we've still got the retirement plan to come butcher's crossing the old way renfield hi-fi tv series a number of other things that are no doubt in the works that we don't know about yet so the podcast is not over this is just goodbye for now uh, but obviously I want to say thank you to everyone who's listened, who's left a little rating, who's interacted on the socials. 
You can find me on Twitter at cage underscore podcast, Instagram at cage rage pod. Uh, all the links down below. You can leave a like on Apple, Spotify, Pod Chaser, uh, all your usual listening platforms of choice. If you can give this one a like, of all the episodes to give a like and rating to this podcast, I think this one will be quite nice. If you feel so inclined, that'd be very nice of you. Uh, thank you to all the guests as well. Um, a lot of people who've given up their free time to watch a Nicolas Cage film and then talk about it with me has been, uh, even now, very, very baffling that people are willing to give up their time. There's a lot of love for the Golden Hog out there. I hope in some way we've fanned the flames of fandomship, done our bits. Uh, I just want to say thank you to uh, Tapvision, who joined me way back when, Danny Hyde, Alex Lean, Patrick Spicer, Ben Shannon, Hannah Fairweather, Sam Nicaresti, Mike West, Tom Broom-Jones, Stuart Laws, Andrew O'Neill and Megan Eileen Williams, Maddie Campion, Sam Lake, Erica Eller, Petros Petzillus, Andy Field, Mike Reed, Film Floggers Podcast, Aaron Tetz, Troy Hewitt, Charlie Vera Martin, Kevin Mahan, Billy from Convo X Nahilo, Jack Gregson, Sean Coates, Alexander Cronenberg, Jamie Allerton, Josh Bell, Joe Chen Dango, Super Marcy, MJ Smith, Elam Graham from the podcast Nobody Asked For, Alex Keeley, B. Jermaine, Zachary Jackson, Josh Pappenheim, David Rosen, Alexandra Haddo, Rob Copland, James Rodriguez, Kieran Murphy, Travis Roy, Sam Marrow, Kat Hughes, Ollie Ryder, Super Marcy, Kevin and Aaron from the podcast That Wouldn't Die, M from Verbal Diorama, Laura Melisi, Steve Kalis, our good friends at the Internal Cauldron of Emotions, Sean from Reboot Yourself, Vittorio Angeloni, friend of the podcast Scarlet, everything I learned about movies podcast, Jimmy Denellen, Harry Stang, Lucy Bugus, Kevin Frolix with Vampires Kiss the Musical, and of course, my ever-loving and supporting partner Kim for joining me on this journey more than once. God bless you. Here's to more Cage films in the future. Uh, but thank you everyone for joining me on the journey to true Cage Nirvana. The journey will continue. It's not over. It will continue. But in the interim, uh, continue to support the podcast however you can. Again, if you feel free to give it a like on your listening platform of choice, it helps it grow. It helps people find it. Don't forget as well, as announced at the end of last week's episode, uh, my podcasting journey will continue with the works of Willem Dafoe, Getting Dafoe You, coming soon. Go check out Getting Dafoe You. Um, that's on Twitter and Instagram at the moment, at Dafoe You Pod on Twitter, at Dafoe You Pod on Instagram. Uh, we've got some great stuff in the works. We're very excited to get started on that, myself and Petros Pat Silvis. Go support podcasts. They're all lovely. Watch more Nick of This Cage and forever and as ever. Keep on, keep on caging. It's all you have to do. Thank you. Take care. And we'll see you soon. Bye-bye.